Hi, I'm Nancy Dufresne. Welcome to our podcast channel. We know you'll be blessed by today's message. Now go with me, if you would, to Joshua chapter 2 and verse 8. Of course, God told his people, he says, I have a land for you. It's flowing with milk and honey. When did God walk that for them? Before time began. It didn't matter who's living on it. God, God's footprints had already claimed it for his own people. First come, first serve. It doesn't matter who's on it. Who got there first? God got there first. The, the earth was made by him. He was there first. <laughs> and he can give it to whoever he wants to give it to. And he can give it in ways you never dreamed of. So God told his people that there is a land that I have for you. And so Moses sent out the 12 spies and 10 of them come back and say, can't have it. There's giants on it. There's... These, in the eyes of these giants, we appear like grasshoppers. We were that way in their sight. We're that way in our sight. We can't do it. And Caleb and Joshua said, let us go up at once. Let's possess it. Why? Because they're mindful of what's already been done. When you sit down at the computer, when you first open it up, you don't sit there and say, boy, I hope it works. No, you know there's something built into it. It's the same thing with your, 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 your life of redemption. Everything is built into it. What do you mean we're not able? It's already built into it. The victory, the possession of this land is already built into it. The plan of God, remember what we read in Ephesians 2, it's already, it's already prepared and waiting for you. So in verse 8, we see that, well, we see that God's people... They just never, that first generation never received the land for one reason. They didn't show up. They didn't believe it was theirs. They didn't show up. So the next generation, Joshua's got a chance to train their thinking. And so they began taking land. So Joshua sends two spies into Jericho and there is Rahab the harlot who takes in these spies. Of course, she's not supposed to. She's putting her life at risk for taking in enemy spies. But look in verse 8. They come to her house looking for these spies, and she had hid them on the roof of her house. And so in verse 8, and it says, Before they were laid down, talking about up on the roof, she came up unto them upon the roof, and she said unto the men, Listen to what she said. I know that the Lord has given you the land. She had more faith than the 10 leaders that said we can't do it. I mean, these are people that are not God's people. They're occupying, they're squatting on this land. And she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. How did she know it? Her hardwire system worked better than theirs. She had more faith than they did. Now notice this. The Lord has given you the land and your terror is fallen upon us. 
and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. When they heard that, that's it. We're done. That's right. We can't fight an enemy who has this working for them. Yeah. Right? That's what their thought is. These people have a God that's parting waters and they're walking on it. The land's theirs. <laughs> so we had heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did under the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side. Look at verse 11. And as soon as we heard these things, now what things are you talking about? Talking about at the Red Sea. Our hearts did melt. means we were done. We were not in position to fight. Our fight was gone from us. There's no one that's going to oppose you. What was that? God working on the backside, already dismantling the enemies, already disarming them. And they knew it. As soon as we heard these things, our heart did melt. Neither did there remain any courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now, if they would have gotten her as one of those 12 spies, <laughs> they might could have made some better progress. But notice this. She, ought, she recognized there's something working for you that's not working for us. Yes. You need to know there's someone working for me that's not working for the enemy and not working for the opposition. Every one of you have that same help, that same redemption, that same victory. So basically she's saying our heart melted within us. Where were you for 40 years? Where were you? We were waiting and we were sitting here in terror waiting for you to show up. And really all they did was give these enemies 40 years to fortify their forces. That's what they gave them. The longer we delay in moving ahead in what God's told us to do, the more the enemy fortifies his strategies against you. The more time he talks to your mind, the, lower, the slower you go. Instead of, the more you hesitate, the more battles you're going to have in your mind. Because you're giving the enemy time to stack the deck against you. When you realize God said he has a house ring, I'm going to get my house. If it bears witness, see you have a, you have, you have a helper and a teacher on the user, the user end, right? And once, he, once you know in your heart you have peace about it, you better get out there and start making progress because if you don't, the, the enemy is building schemes against that coming to pass in your life. Amen. So I would have to say this. I remember listening to one preacher and this, God spoke to this minister years ago and said, if you knew, because he was worrying about the great obstacles he was facing financially in his ministry. And God said to him, if you knew what I knew, you'd be rejoicing. What's that mean? If you knew what your life was wired with, 
if you knew the backside of your miracle that's already, everything's in place, everything's already worked out, God's already walked the paths for you, He's already made plain the paths, if you knew everything that was fully stocked, you'd be rejoicing instead of worrying, instead of hesitating, instead of sitting talking doubt and unbelief at the dinner table, going, I'm so tired of this. When you're tired of something, you don't know what you got. You're more, you're, you're talking about the front side of that screen of what you can see, what you can feel, what you can touch when there's a backside that's unseen that is running the whole thing if you'll access it. Praise the Lord. I said, praise the Lord. I was, uh, listening to something of a testimony that was given about George Mueller and George Mueller had an orphanage in Bristol, England in the 1800s. He lived for 92 years at a time when the average lifespan was 40 years in Bristol, England. And he moved there uh, when he was in his late 20s and God put it in his heart to start an orphanage there in Bristol. It was a time when uh, there was what they would call poor houses and people who could not uh, survive on their own were put in these poor houses and they were bad places to be. That's where the mentally, the mentally insane would be kept and all kinds of things. And so these children, there were so many, there was cholera epidemics, all kinds of epidemics during the time that George Mueller arrived and there were all these orphans living on the street. They said it's estimated there were 250,000 orphans living on the streets in Bristol, England during the time that he arrived. And so God started dealing with him about having a place for these children. And uh, so he talked about the process and he just believed God and God supplied and Really, his journal is nothing but a record of his prayer book, of him believing God and the things that he called out before God. God ended up giving him land, and he built uh, several homes. And I'm not talking little houses. I'm talking large buildings, and they were lovely buildings on these properties. And I believe he built eight altogether. Ended up housing over 2,000 orphans at one time as what he could house. And he talked about how he would wait on God because he he didn't borrow money. Borrowing money back then was a big risk that if you didn't pay it, you went to jail. And so it was not his practice to borrow money. And so he said that when God would start dealing with him about another home to build, that he would believe for all the money to come in. And so once the money was there, then they would start building without delay and they wouldn't be stopped. They could, they could go all the way to completion with it because he already had the money in hand. And God told him about build, there was another home he wanted him to build. So he was believing God for 20,000 pounds. Um, 20,000 pounds to the dollar back then was about... Adult, one pound was about four, almost four and a half of American dollars. So he needed 20,000 pounds. So you multiply that by four and a half. And you kind of get a, a, an understanding of in American money what that was. But of course, this is the 1800s. So it, that's still a, bit, a, lot, a lot of difference from the, the cost of things today. 
So he was believing God for money. And uh, there would come in, um, there would come in this amount of money and this amount of money. And he'd say, you know, God, I'm so grateful for this, but this is not 20,000 pounds. And every time money would come in, he would thank God for it. And he'd say, I thank you for the 20,000 pounds. And he said, finally, somebody gave a thousand pounds. And he said, that was the largest gift that the ministry had ever received up to that time. And uh, he said, Father, thank you for that, but that's not 20,000 pounds. And so he would call out for it every day. Well, one day a young man came to him and he said, Mr. Mueller, he said, I would like for you to pray with me about something. He said, well, what is it? He says, I believe I'm called to the mission field, to called to go to India. And he said, my parents have... Uh, they do not agree. And he said, um, I'm just going to go ahead and go. And he says, no, Brother Mueller says, no. He said, the Bible says, honor your mother and father. Let's pray that God will change their heart. And he said, Mr. Mueller, you don't understand my parents. He said, they are higher up in society. And back then, the classes of society were very divided and very prevalent. He said they're very wealthy. They are, they are of nobility. They have a large standing. They're, you don't understand who you're dealing with when you talk about my parents. He said, well, young man, I don't know your parents, but you don't understand my God. And so he said, we will pray that God will visit them and change their heart. A few weeks later, the young man came back and said, Mr. Mueller, thank you for praying. My parents agreed. I am going to India. And he said, I came back to thank you. And he says, I'm asking you for one other prayer request. And he said, what is it? said, my sister believes she's supposed to go too, and they've declined to let her go. So I'm praying that you will. I'm asking that you will pray for my parents to allow her to go. So they prayed together that God would again move on the hearts of the parents to let this daughter go with him to India. And you can imagine in that day what that meant. Your two children that when you are, when you are uh, of some substantial standing and you have a social status, you have money, and then you're sending your, the, the ones to inherit it off to a foreign country that was uh, a remote for them in the sense of getting there was no air travel. And so it was a big decision for a parent to make. But Brother Mueller and this young man prayed. And in another couple of weeks, he got a letter. And it was from the sister. And she said, Mr. Mueller, my brother told me that you had prayed for me to, for my parents to agree for me to go to India and said, my parents have agreed. And I want to thank you for praying because my, my brother and I are so excited about the plan of God for our life. But she said, and then with this letter was a box. And she said, I have included the toys of my vanity because I don't need them in India. And he thought, well, the toys. He said, I've got 2,500 kids. You can't give one a toy <laughs> and not give the others a toy. And so he thought, I don't know what I'm going to do with what she's included in the box. So he opened it up and he said, when he looked into the box, he just began to weep. He said, it looked like the crown jewels of England. 
and he said there was diamonds, necklaces, earrings, and rubies, and sapphires, and necklaces, and tiaras, and earrings, and bracelets of all this wealth of jewelry. And he said to the young man, he said, go get the jeweler. Because people would often give them things like this, and they would turn them into cash for the orphanage. The jeweler came and said, these are some of the rarest I've ever seen the, the quality, the size of them. And he valued them. Now, George Mueller needed 20,000 pounds. He valued them at 750,000 pounds, <laughs> which was $3.3 million in 1850. In today's money, $102 million. One gift from a girl, not even her own household, but just one girl he prayed for. God knows how to hardwire your answer. And George Mueller said, we have a statement that we make. And he said, the statement is this, God's time is the right time. God's time is the right time. And he said, I so desperately needed that $20,000. And that day that I opened that box of jewels, he said, that was God's time. And he said, I've learned to not ever be disturbed about any other time because God's time is the right time. And he said, when I think about God saw this time, He saw this day when I would receive these jewels. He said when he put these precious things in the earth at creation, it was for this day in my life. He said when the man mined it, he said it was for this day in my life. He said when the jeweler set them, it was for this day in my life. And said and when the girl selected them, she was selecting them for my day. This is a man who understood that there's a backside to your life. And God had already, at the founding of the world, he had already put everything in the earth with you in mind. With your need in mind, with your path in mind. With your provision and your supply and your help in mind. Because God's time is the right time. Worry time is never the right time. Hesitation time is never the right time. But God's time is the right time. And if we will come up to the thinking that my life has already been provided for, you will pray different. You will think different. You will have a different kind of conversation. Your actions will be different. When God tells you to give, you won't, your heart won't skip a beat because you already know there's a whole genius network circuit panel to my life out of the mind of God that holds all the provision, all the help, everything I need, it's already there. That means today we dismiss every worry. 
we dismiss every fear because we come into the, not only the realization, but the recognition. Before I arrived at this day, God fully provided for this day. Before I ever arrived at the business, he told me to start. There was full provision for that business. And make every decision, not with the front side in mind, but with the back side in mind. Because the front side is all you can see, feel, and touch. It's the screen that sits in front of you, just like in a computer. But that's not all there is. There's a whole brain genius to that computer. Even so, there is the, the, the divine genius that has already made every connection in your life that you need. And he's already walked there for you. Waiting for you to show up with your faith. What keeps the hard drive from working right on your computer? User error. Doing something wrong with that computer. Not putting a demand on it. Amen. You've heard the story, but you see how God hardwires or the backside of our lives. Part of the backside of your life that God has already completely provided for has all the power. Holds all the power. And part of that power is uh, angels. They are expressions of his power. They are ministers sent forth to minister for heirs of salvation. That's us. They're part of this backside that God has already put in place for everything you're going to need. Great faith comes when you see the backside, not the front side. Great faith is there. You live a life of faith when your focus is, is on the backside and you're talking about the backside instead of the front side. Front side people will never get more than the front side. But when you're backside minded and your conversation is of the backside and your faith is putting a demand on the backside, then you can have everything that that backside holds for you. What is that? That's the unseen realm. That's the spirit realm. Whenever Rachel Tifa Tiller, who was a uh, precious lady, that she was a prayer. And uh, her son had started a church and he said to her one day, he said, Mom, I need you to come and help me in the church. Uh, There had never been a church like his in the community and there was a lot of groundwork to lay. So she agreed and her husband agreed and it was several states away, so her son drove and helped them pack up, and they were driving to where they would be helping him. And it was several days of driving because they were older then, and uh, they didn't want to drive straight through. So at about 9 or 10 o'clock at night, on their first day of traveling, uh, Back then it was motels, you know, not the hotels that you see so plentiful everywhere. And they were going through smaller towns and communities. And uh, so there were motel signs. And you remember that they would have these red neon signs at the front saying no vacancy? Then you know, don't even go in. 
So they kept going and driving through these small towns that would only have one or two motels in it. And, and it, because of the time of the year, the motels were full. I don't know if it was during a vacation season or what, but they would come up to the next motel in the town and it would have no vacancy, no vacancy. Every little, mo- every little town they drove through, it was all no vacancy. And so at about 11 or 12 o'clock, it's about 11 o'clock, his, her son said, Mom, it looks like we're going to have sleep in the car tonight. And she said, God did not call me to come help you and sleep in a car. What's she talking about? She knew that there's provision for this trip. What's she talking about? She's talking about the backside. All they saw on the front side was no vacancy. But when the front side isn't the way you wish it to be, look at the backside. Because the backside determines the front side when there's not user error. And so she said, the next town we're going into, we're going to get a room there. And she said, angels, somebody's in our room. Get them out. When she starts talking about angels, she's talking about the backside. She's talking about the genius of this thing, the wisdom of God, that, they have, that there's full provision and these angels are going to help bring that, that provision into today. So she, um, she just spoke and said, angels, someone's in our room, get them out. So they drive into the next town and the motel sign says no vacancy. And she said, stop, that's it. And he said, Mom, it says no vacancy. She said, I don't care. You go in and get our room. See, she's, she's, her mind is on the back side. His mind was on the front side of the screen. She says, Mom, it says no vacancy. Just go in and get the key. <laughs> he goes in and he says, I know. He said to the clerk, I know. It's, it's past midnight now. He says, I know that you say that there's the, the, the no vacancy sign is lit, but by chance, is there a vacancy? And said, well... There was a truck driver that came in 30 minutes ago and he says, I have got a long trip to make. I do not have time to be sleeping. And he turned his room key back in and the clerk said, it is not my job to do housekeeping, but I did it. I went in, changed the sheets, cleaned up the bathroom and put everything in. It's fresh and ready and it's the biggest room we have. It has multiple beds in it. He comes back out and she said, got a room, don't you? She understood. Put the backside to work. Put the backside to work. Don't just rely on what the front side of life shows you. Put the backside to work. When you understand there's a backside, you'll employ all that the backside offers you. We trust you've enjoyed this message. Visit us at DufresneMinistries.org to learn of our upcoming meetings, share your testimony, become a partner, or visit our online store. This program has been made possible by the friends and partners of Dufresne Ministries.